0: This is the inaugural episode of Funk Podcast, the worst titled podcast on the internet. I'm Comfort Jones. I'm an amateur game designer and developer currently working on a very extensive Half-Life 2 mod. And with me is Sean Noonan.
1: Hi, uh, yeah. I'm, a, I guess, an indie developer at this point. Um, Used to be AAA, now indie. Um, working on a bunch of stuff, some I can talk about, some I can't.
0: You should probably listen to that. How about being a lead level designer in Gears of War Tactics? It was huge.
1: It's um something I, I guess I was doing up until the start of the pandemic, I think. I think we shipped just after that. But yeah, I was a lead level designer on Gears Tactics. I think that was about two years ish, maybe three. <laughs> it's kind of hard to remember. Then I went indie. Um, But before that, I was at uh, Ubisoft Montreal. Uh, Cloud Imperium Games, that's on Star Citizen Ruffian Games working on the sequel to Crackdown Um, and before that Midway Um, I hope I'm not forgetting anything in there (laughs) I'm sure you've
0: got all the majors at least so that's that's over a decade, right?
1: Yeah, I think it's 13 14 years, something like that
0: All right, perfect, so this is you know, it's basically a podcast where we're going to be going over game related stuff from more of a developer perspective, I've been working on my own stuff for I don't know, close to half a decade. So I'm I'm in a weird kind of amateur, not quite hack fraud territory, but not quite professional. Well, Sean's clearly the professional here, so I'm probably going to be deferring to you a lot, <laughs> a lot of conversations. So um, first big topic I wanted to go over because I've been I don't know I I hate how few podcasts there are on game development like real like game development design is just like what kind of stuff have you struggled with recently or. What's something you're like really happy about you can share like what what kind of like stuff you think doesn't get enough coverage in terms of you know working on games
1: um it depends on which angle you're coming at it from like there's a bit of a difference between specific roles like when I'm doing my uh my day to day game development work, so that's very design focused whereas my sort of independent free time stuff is kind of everything um the only thing I tend not to go near is music for good reason I don't have a great ear for it yeah. But when it comes to actual specifics, like design, um, that's that's more in my day to day. And I would say one of the eternal struggles is um, balance for me. Knowing when to balance and when you should just get stuff in and hope you can balance it later. It just it just feels like there isn't um, it's not like a clear line in the sand where you should take a certain feature to before you start balancing something.
0: So when you say balance, what do you mean by
1: that? So, whether or not, well, several bounces, right? There's, there's whether or not it's the balance of fun, the balance of um, challenge. Mm. I think there's a balance between both of those things. Challenge is probably an easier thing to balance, you know, when you've got everything in place and everything's in a spreadsheet. And you can just tweak numbers and you can almost do it through, a, you know, a, an equation.
0: Yeah, I feel like balance almost exists, like, in that realm where it's, like, you could, like, if, if you've ever seen, like, Quake level designers, like, discuss, like, how they're, like, trying to set up a certain encounter for, like, different skill levels. Right. Like, those dudes, they have they have everything down. Like, they, you know, like, they know exactly... You know, if I put like X number of enemies in this situation and like I've given the player, you know, X amount of like ammo pickups, I can expect that they can use the nail gun for like this many shots to take out this many enemies, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And like, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of jealous of that sometimes, but I feel like you can only really get that raw with it if you're also like not as concerned about the, um, you know, the experience side of that. It's like the opposite with like a Half-Life 2 map where I feel like no one really thinks of it like in that regards at all
1: going back to like my days when i was you know mostly making missions for AAA a games that like mostly open world stuff you'd have a rough idea of the difficulty you'd be trying to aim for so you'd know what kind of weapons the player would have at that any given time what sort of abilities they'd have and you would kind of have to re- rely on your own player skill and then whether or not qa felt it was you know correct there was a certain amount of like looking at numbers and stuff but because that stuff is always fluctuating throughout development. Like maybe I've been unlucky, but I would say on almost every game I've worked on, the, the challenge balance has been completely different through from day one to day seven hundred, or <laughs> you know however long the project runs on for. Mm. I think there's there's no there's no formula I think to work things out while you're on while you're on the clock basically when you're trying to get something done. Um you are kind of leaning more towards that half life uh two experience that you're talking about, like
0: yeah, I feel like it's kind of taken over honestly
1: yeah yeah that that's kind of how things are, but then I think the quake uh, method sort of requires that additional layer of um analysis that that game's had since its release yeah i i might I might be wrong on that, but i I don't think that that level of fine detail was a part of the initial design. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I'd be surprised if it was. It might have been to some extent. It'd be something worth uh, finding out, actually.
0: Well, I know they kind of crunched the game, and so anything like crunched as hard as that game was, I'd be surprised if they had like that hard of a grasp on you know whatever.
1: I've talked uh, with you before in the past about um, some of the Ubisoft methods of um, mm-hmm. basically how they balance games and how they even create games and mechanics using their rational um, game design methodology and i I can't really get into that now it's like it's a heavy thing but um in theory if you were to have followed every single one of the steps in in their process the way they develop games um you would have exact numbers for balance and even what they consider to be like sort of um a numerical form of fun as well (laughs) the only game i know that does adhere to it to the letter or games, should I say, is uh Rayman uh, Origins and Rayman Legends. Hmm. They follow it to the letter. Um, I don't think there's anything in there that wasn't considered as part of that process. So they probably do have numbers for almost everything they put in the game. But I don't think that's the case for everything else. It certainly wasn't on stuff like Watch Dogs. It was a very good guide for things, but there's stuff that changes based on feel. Um, you know, the direction of the game can change. We started off without as much combat as we ended up with, you know, as an example. Mm-hmm. So if you go in with numbers that expect the player to do X and the actual numbers are spitting out Y because now you get a gun two levels earlier, you know, that not not a direct example, but that kind of thing. You can't really rely on that stuff. It's it. I think it depends on the scope of the project. And I think open world and well, even just 3D, like going from like Rayman being 2D does simplify it somewhat so you can kind of well you you have fewer levers to be pulling
0: right well ha, ha, so how do you feel about that now as like an indie like do you, do you like miss having like that kind of structure because I, I i don't want to like blow up your spot because i know you're under heavy nda but like you're you're kind of working on something that's like it's a little harder to just like lock down simple math right
1: yeah i mean I'm not. I'm not actually specifically under NDA. Mm. It's it's more that we're not we're not talking about the game until we uh, unveil it, kind of thing. Okay. I have actually approached some of the development with that sort of um, specifically with that Ubisoft mentality. Actually, certain areas of it, especially when it comes to sort of uh, creating enemy archetypes, uh, balancing certain types of gameplay, like basically different types of combat scenarios and stuff. Mm. I've been going that route. The problem is you need to have very quick iteration times on some of that stuff to kind of prove it out. Um, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of abstract to really describe, but because you're trying to cover every angle of development. So you're trying to say like when, when you create, um, an archetype for something, you want to create every, like, like an enemy, for example, you want to create every type of that enemy Mm. to be able to test it and see if it actually works to kind of get the data back. Um and see what works. Yeah,
0: that's that's easier said than done, right? Just making an AI work.
1: Well, it's it's tons and tons of data because you could end up with so many permutations that you you know it's not really feasible for a small team. Oh, I'm aware. And obviously, you could do that in a bigger team, and in theory, you shouldn't even be doing that with a bigger team. You should be just doing it on paper to generate these things. Like you know, you list different abilities, you list different enemy types, and you see how they all kind of mix together. Mm-hmm. I've gone with that approach anyway with my current project, and I think some of it has ended up being a bit too dry. I, you know, I need a bit more feeling and I need to kind of be a bit more creative in some areas, like, you know, just kind of throw some wild cards in. And that's kind of helped. It has actually helped using two different approaches and kind of merging them together. Yes. Yeah. They say these things are more of a guide than, you know, a law.
0: Sure. I mean, I'm especially thinking for like AI. The big, you know, the, the big issue with like iterating on something like that is I feel like the more complex of like a AI system you're going for, the the longer it's going to take before it's really actually doing what you were intending it to do to begin with. Yeah. Which is what makes it such a a nightmare to to work around, really. I I have a lot of experience working directly on my own AI uh for my mod, uh in Human and just getting, like, some soldier dudes just kind of, like, being where players would expect them to be and not making, like, really obviously stupid decisions has been, like, such a nightmare. I'm, like, I'm I'm so curious how, how that feels for, like, a team working on, like, a more, like, layered, you know, something like Halo or something, you know, where there's, like, a lot of enemy types and they have to work on, like, a large scale. I feel like they probably make a lot of concessions for just, like, level design, where, like, you basically just kind of have the the level designer dictate how they work. But, like, that's never where my brain goes. I always want them to be as, like, self-sufficient as possible. I always think to the, um, like, the replicas in Fear, where, like, you feel like if you just put them in a space with cover, they're just going to, like, move around and do things that they're supposed to do.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think there's there's a scope as well within their environment. Like, you expect them to do a certain amount yeah, I think that that kind of does come with the the age of the game as well, and the the visual side of it. That there's a certain expectation the player will make based on what how things look. Yeah. If you're playing a game like Quake, you don't suddenly expect the enemies to be able to mantle over railings, or, mm-hmm. or you know, like or over small like walls. You expect them to kind of walk around them. You probably don't even expect them to jump in most cases. Yeah. But as soon as you up that fidelity to something like Fear, you do start to expect that. And then when you up it to, again to something more you know, more like, uh, in the last, like, five to ten years or something, um, you expect even more from the enemies, and I think that's, that's also something that needs to be taken into account when you're, you know, trying to balance these things. Yeah,
0: so you've been talking about how you're, you're kind of finding that balance between, I guess, you know, kind of, like, going for an experience on feel, and, like, making something quote-unquote balanced on, um, you know, on, you know, like, math. Yeah. Is there, a, is there anything you feel like you've recently done or in any projects you've worked on in the past where you feel like you, you, you got that right? Like you were really proud of like figuring that out?
1: Um, I would say even back on Crackdown 2, because that was the first time I actually worked with any AI. I, was, I wasn't a level designer on that. I was actually a game designer. I think we had the right amount of archetypes and the right right amount of player challenges through those archetypes. And it, it's all quite standard stuff, but when you actually get it all working together, it does, it does feel kind of special, I think. But we had like, you know, your enemies that are melee, then you have your ranged enemies, then you have jumping enemies. So, you, you know, you, you mix up the, the shapes, the sizes, um, and the movement patterns and the damage values and everything. And mm-hmm. I, th- I think we had like a pretty good balance of enemies in that game um i just think it's it was difficult because of the the player being completely unpredictable like yeah because you you could level up in different ways
0: um you can go all over the place
1: yeah yeah it's open world right um so it's it's kind of hard like really to to look at like uh the stuff i've worked on and see where it was like you know a hundred percent because most of the stuff i've worked on is open world and it means it's almost down to the player in some ways. Um mm. I, I mean I've obviously I worked on three open world games with Ubisoft, and I think the enemy archetypes in uh Watch Dogs and Far Cry four were quite similar. The only real difference was one of the archetypes I actually worked with specifically in Far Cry four, which was the um hunter class. So that was an enemy that would use a bow um and it had some extra abilities over any sort of marksman enemy archetype that you would have been up against so mm-hmm. they would be a marksman but they would also disappear off the map so they could no longer be tagged every time they went out of sight and i think it's if they went into uh overgrowth you know like sort of stealth bushes uh so they would get detagged. that meant they were hard to track um and they could also like they could charm the animals basically to attack you as sort of basically change their allegiance from uh neutral animals to the enemy of the player that was the only time i really noticed a big difference between you know watchdogs and far cry and i think in both cases they work quite well but the problem is that the longer you play a game like that the more fatigue sets in uh based on human enemies because they yeah they're limited they, they you, there's only so much a human can do without going into the realms of fantasy you know or putting them in vehicles or like, you can put them in big body armor but that that's an archetype
0: yeah i think the other issues is, you know these games are usually they're they're more player weighted and that yeah i feel like the more you wait like a player experience most of the time you're often going to end up with a flatter game for people who aren't trying to like find the fun yeah i feel like that's kind of what goes on with certain genres open world games to an extent immersive sims where it's like you you know an immersive sims you have you know so many things that can happen but like If the player has a powerful option that works, they're just going to keep doing that powerful option, (laughs) and it's harder to stop them in a game where it's like you're giving them so much more freedom to get, you know, whatever resources, do whatever they want to do in level compared to something like a more classic like shooter experience or something.
1: Yeah, yeah, I've I've talked about that like great length, I think, in the past. Talked about the um, grenade launcher problem in uh, Watch Dogs. These novel weapons that players drive themselves towards getting, because you know it, it it's wild and different and exciting, yeah, but the problem is you can't just give them one chance at using it, you just give them a lot of chances, and they will do whatever they can to make that chance you know happen more often and yeah, players are optimizing the fun out of their games that that they will do that if you give them the option to,
0: yeah. I think that's, a that's like, an eternal problem with, like, those kinds of games. Like, you're always, like, trying to struggle with, like, player incentive, and that's why I'm kind of sad there aren't more... I don't know, I hate the word, like, retro or old school, but I feel like there's a class of shooter that's, like, basically dead. The difference between something like Half-Life and Half-Life 2, where, like, yeah, the former, I feel, is a lot more grounded in terms of like what it expects the player to be able to do and is more designed around like your limitations. Yeah. Like it's giving you a lot less health at a time. It's sometimes giving you different novel ammo types expecting you to possibly spend them in the next few couple of situations, but like it doesn't demand you to. And I don't know, I feel like that gets um very overlooked. I I feel this a lot when I hear people talk about something like Black Mesa or whatever where like there's people who will speak about like a modern like, like half-life in the modern sense as if it's just sort of like this novel little shooter because it did like story okay for like the first time or something and <laughs> they're like oh you know like here's this game it's exactly the same and i'm like but it's not it's it's half life 2 it doesn't do all these things that like half-life does but i feel like we we've almost like lost our appetite for it that it's like we just we forget that there were like games that did that like there's there's like Things that exist in that game that I feel like are just dead these days, like just simple stuff, like how the the soldiers act or whatever. People really like notice it and they still talk about it. And I feel like you will not hear people talk about that in in modern shooters. I have never heard anyone go on about like the AI and like the division or you know Call of Duty or whatever. It just is. It just doesn't ever come up. I've never heard people talk about them the same way they talk about something like Fear or Half Life or Halo
1: in the case of something like fear halo and half-life i think there's an element of the fact that because it's been covered it continues to get covered
0: mm-hmm.
1: so because there's some uh let's say youtube coverage of something it gets regurgitated a lot and it gets it just gets so much more analysis than everything else and i i do think that there are things that have been missed from other games or they've just been overlooked by the fact that they have not had the same level of interest from you know, a specific set of voices, I suppose, Mm -hmm. that have covered these things in the past. I do think there's special stuff in other games. I just don't think it's been recognized by the majority, I suppose, or at least the people who have the voices that (laughs) will be heard by the majority, should I say.
0: Yeah.
1: I do think that there have been, you know, negative changes. Like you mentioned Call of Duty. I I think the AI in the early games was, you know, fine. It did its job. Sure. But I think it kind of just continued to do the same thing, so it was it was just unremarkable.
0: Yeah, it's handling a certain gameplay style. It's not really built for you to notice AI. Yeah. But you know what I realized? I mentioned Call of Duty, Halo and Gears of War, and Fear. Three of those four games are are all owned by Microsoft. And one of those big ones, the recent acquisition, is Call of Duty.
1: <laughs> hmm. Um That's true.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Do you want to get into that, or should we like really?
1: Yeah, we could get into that.
0: Yeah, so I'm sure anyone listening to this probably knows by now that Microsoft recently acquired Activision Blizzard. And I was looking at this graph you sent me of uh, like just the like the the number of employees and like how much how how basically how much capital they have. Yeah. Compared to to anybody else at this point. Like these, they like they own King now. People don't even think like they own King. They own like fucking Candy Crush now. Yeah. They they've got Id. They've got you know, it's it's a lot. Bethesda's under Microsoft now, right? right,
1: right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah,
0: okay, yeah, yeah. Oh. You know, people talk about antitrust laws and I'm like, how much more can you buy before <laughs> <laughs> before someone says something about it?
1: Yeah, I have no idea how that stuff works. Yeah,
0: how do you think Sony responds to this? How Can they even? I know they recently acquired Bungie. I don't, not, not to, you know, not, not to diss Destiny, but I don't, I don't know if Bungie's going to be picking up that much slack.
1: Yeah, I, I I don't know. I think it's I think it's more of a, I don't know if they even need to respond. I think it's Microsoft basically hitting the same level. Um, so they're just operating in the same, you know, like a ballpark now, whereas before there was quite a big gap when you look at the numbers that were put up, put out um, recently, I can't remember what they were for. Now, was it the amount of uh, revenue generated in the last twelve months or something? This acquisition puts them in the sort of uh, puts Microsoft in the same space as Sony and Tencent, basically. If I recall, that was the that was the unit of measurement that was being thrown around at the time. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think they'll need to do a whole lot. I don't think. I think that they're, they're still selling consoles like crazy. Um,
0: you don't think like losing Call of Duty is going to be like a huge blow?
1: It might be. Uh...
0: Yeah, I feel like losing that and basically all future Blizzard titles and potentially t- like like Microsoft's in a big position of power here now. Like they, like they have a lot of they have a lot of stuff that's like a lot of legacy stuff that people I think are used to getting on multiple consoles now that they could just say now nah, it's on Xbox now if they wanted to.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean that that's obviously going to affect things um, when it comes to the competition side of the uh, the market. But I think yeah, Call of Duty is obviously a big deal. But as for the other things that have been picked up, I'd I'd have to look at numbers, and it's it's obviously getting more difficult to find numbers for things now. Like everything's getting all obfuscated by like you know stuff like Game Pass and. Mm-hmm. You know, just the digital marketplaces made things quite confusing to get sales on. Like even games I've worked on in the past, I've been quite curious how things have sold, and it's really hard to actually get data from, um, from stuff that I even I've worked on. Yeah, I know that when let me think it was, it was I know when Watch Dogs came out, it sold more than you know it was the biggest selling new IP right, like in in history. Yeah. So I knew, I know that little fact because that's what Ubisoft put out. Their, their PR team will be going through every single metric of data they can kind of find and say like what what are the success points we can market here like so it was the most successful IP uh, new IP in in history and then it had the highest selling um, weekend sales I think it was, it was something it was something like 4.4 million for a multi-platform game so there's all these little asterisks right yeah uh, alongside these these statements because I, I I know that those two things because of I remember copy pasting them into my uh portfolio at one point um but then i thought oh i'll try and do it for my for the other games i've worked on and i was finding it really difficult to get stuff uh you know information like sales data and i was trying to get information you could just see that the type of information that was being provided by the publisher was tweaked to always be the, the only positive uh unique thing about that project and i noticed um barcode primal but specifically I, I couldn't get much information so I, that must have not hit um, their sales expectations I don't know if that's true or not it's just I assume that was the case because I couldn't really find much about it, hmm. it it's just hard to kind of work out what's successful and what isn't hmm. I think the marketplace is something that's um, it's interesting to watch like these acquisitions and stuff have all been quite exciting because in some cases like Activision might not have been handling things correctly you know they're all at their back catalogue and yeah
0: I think it could be good and bad. I feel like whenever we see like a major buyout, it's always also going to like, how do I put it? It it can constrain things because it's one publisher, so now they're, you know, they don't want to compete with themselves, you know, when they're like releasing stuff. Yeah. So I feel like that, that also has kind of a self-limiting factor to it. And so like, it, it, it makes it hard for me to get like optimistic. Like, oh yeah, now we're going to see even more. I'm like, I don't know. I feel like we could see less. I feel like I also would caution anyone against believing them. If you hear anything about like, oh, don't worry. Like we're still committed to call of duty being like a multi-platform thing. I'm like, yeah. Until shareholders start like asking (laughs) what's, what's the deal with profits. And then you go, Hey, check this out.
1: Yeah. Where's the return.
0: So I would not be surprised if like within a generation, like Sony doesn't get Call of duty. Sony doesn't get to have, you know, the next like Bethesda shooter or whatever. And, I guess my only positive hope there is that maybe they start looking back to some of their old franchises that I feel like have gone kind of underlooked and never really got a chance on like modern hardware, like stuff like Killzone or Resistance. I've always wanted to play like Resistance 3 on a, on a computer. I I'm, I'm, yeah. I think it's such a damn shame. You can't play that game at like a proper resolution at high frame rate. That's never been an option.
1: Yeah, I don't even think emulation's a good possibility there either. Oh. Yeah, like I, there's there's so many problems with that, and I I don't know I don't know if they they really have any real interest in the first person realm. <laughs> they don't know how to market it. Like they've they've obviously got some previous successes. Like um, I do believe the Resistance and Killzone series have both had like you know decent sales?
0: Decent would be the word.
1: Yeah, yeah, not not like they're not on the same level as like you know Call of Duty or Halo. You know they they held their own, mm-hmm. but. In in the case of both series, you could feel that this sounds a bit sort of <laughs> nebulous, but you could feel that Sony didn't really have the same kind of um faith in it as it did its um third person action adventure stuff, which it, you know, they they clearly get behind everything in that. Even stuff like the order, which didn't Yeah it looks it looks very very nice um it definitely looks nice and the world's actually really good as well i was, I was actually quite into everything that game was providing except the gameplay uh <laughs> which was you know a very very weak interpretation of gears of war and gears of war won at that yeah it felt very old
0: yeah that was kind of a rare stumble in their whole yes. third person action dude series like series of games but I'm like i don't know I, i'm like i feel like I wonder how long they can keep pushing that without any kind of fatigue. Cause it's like, that's like all of their main like exclusive stuff, isn't it? Like we got Death Stranding, Horizon, The Last of Us, Uncharted, uh, Days Gone was PlayStation, right? Yeah. That felt like a parody almost where it's just like, Hey, we, we did another one. You know what I mean? Like it just, it, it felt like, so it felt like it was generated by Sony itself. Yeah. You know I mean, like you just took a bunch of stuff from there and just, plopped together
1: they've got a formula that they know works i don't know if it's part of their like um, pitch process or not mm. but if you put the kill zone uh and resistance if you look at their covers the thing that they're advertising is the enemy because they don't really have a character yeah there's no like um like who's the protagonist of the kill zone games
0: oh man white guy with a buzz cut
1: <laughs> yeah it swaps around between the games as well, and, it, and they're not very interesting or iconic. Same thing with the Resistance, although I think they tried a bit better in the third one, but they didn't do it in the marketing, so I think that's quite crucial. Mm-hmm. They completely ignored that, that side of things and just went with, this is the monster that you kill.
0: Yeah, I've never really thought about it that way.
1: So kill zone and Resistance, Monster on the front, then you've got Uncharted, uh, God of War, and um, Horizon. Main character on the front Hmm. because they're selling a character and they're selling the story Mm -hmm. they don't know how to sell a first person game because you're not looking at the character but that's my belief anyway i i I think that's why they struggle so much
0: they kind of orient towards mascots Is kind of like kind
1: of yeah i I think it's 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 so that the consumer can see you know they can see the character they're going to play as they get a rough idea of the story based on the name and the the background and what the character's wearing and stuff they can make a, a bunch of assumptions really fast and it means that they can also have the cutscenes and the, yeah. the well it's probably all in gameplay now but you know they they have all of the the gameplay uh reinforcing that character that you see on the box and the posters so it's, it's everywhere and you, the character usually has a voice again something that isn't as common in first person stuff so everything's all about character and about that that character's adventure and that stuff is just not there in single in, in single player first person games. Usually, it can be there, but I don't think uh, Sony have really known how to do it. Yeah,
0: it's funny because I feel like you got less work to do. Like <laughs> Gordon Freeman and Master Chief are fairly iconic, quote unquote characters, and they are not characters. Like Gordon Freeman is a literal non-character. You cannot describe Gordon Freeman. They are
1: hens teeth though. It's, it's not common. Um, you can see you can see it a little in um the Dishonored games. Um. It's more marketing them on people in the know, people who know that type of genre and the type of game and the history of the the people who made the game. Even um, it's it's almost like they lean on that, and, and and to some extent the first game on the art style because it was quite unique. That character on the box that you can then show in gameplay footage. So if you you know you're, you're I don't know chow hopping on TV and you see the trailer for the game, the the frame of footage is probably a camera behind the character doing something. Whereas if it's first person, you don't really know who that is. So you don't really have that association. It could be anyone. Like, yeah. If you took a couple of different screenshots of the, I guess, the last couple of Far Cry games, you wouldn't have known which one's which. <laughs> there's there's not really much uh, to really distinguish them. I think that's an area where Sony have actually found their niche and I can't see them. I mean, maybe that's part of the Bungie acquisition. Maybe they've got them involved to kind of... yeah help them on the first person shooter front um rather than actually to make a specific game for them maybe have them you know in on the incubation of other projects or something
0: Mm. like what what game has you been playing
1: uh oddly enough um i recently uh uh became the owner of a sindan light gun
0: the purchases you make yeah go on (laughs) (laughs)
1: um yeah that so that was a i think it was a was it kickstarter or it was an indiegogo actually um so basically some somebody has uh worked out um how to make light guns work on modern screens because obviously the previous light guns either don't work at all or have a lot of problems with lcd screens right so this, this gun works by sticking a camera in the barrel and kind of doing a reverse Wii, I guess.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I was going to say, you can't do like a sensor bar, right?
1: There are some guns, I think, mm-hmm. out there that do the sensor bar thing, but there's a lot of lag involved with that. And Yeah. This is practically lag-free. I don't notice it. That's interesting. Yeah, this is basically allowing me to play the arcade games I missed, really, because I I grew up playing arcade games, and uh, whenever the option to play arcade games at home was uh available i would do what i could to kind of get those games so i had like you know house of the dead on the saturn um virtue cop 1 and 2 on the saturn i had time Crisis on the playstation but there were there were you know not many of them and they weren't perfect ports either whereas now i can kind of you know emulate this stuff and yeah use this uh light gun it's it's great that that's all i've been playing i've just been playing light gun stuff from you know the 90s
0: i think that's gonna lead to some inspiration in your game <laughs>
1: uh I think that probably will lead to me m- m- wanting to make a light gun game. <laughs>
0: Guys, what if we do an on rail section? Listen, <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be retro. We haven't done it in forever.
1: Well, like, yeah. I mean, a light gun game is, on paper, kind of easier to make mm. than a normal shooter. Oh sure, because you're not really dealing with the same complicated uh, variables, I suppose but you have different variables and you have different quality levels to sort of uh, reach for it to not look like shovelware. So it's got to look quite cinematic and um, needs to tick a couple of boxes when it comes to the way the AI works as well. I have been thinking about how I could maybe do a light gun shooter in the future. Of course, to justify that, you kind of need to make sure that there's another way to play it because yeah, I can't remember how many people own this specific model of gun um but it's not many. <laughs> yeah. And the waiting time I think I ordered this 9 months ago.
0: Oh lord. Yeah, I don't think I'll be making that purchase anytime soon.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think it was about 9 months ago. Um obviously there are some problems like we had Brexit and we had um the COVID-19 pandemic <laughs> um, so that
0: you know, just a little little
1: hiccups. Yeah, th- those two things changed a lot of uh, stuff with manufacturing in the uk uh, because this is uk manufactured but yeah i've been playing virtual cop um time crisis in fact i actually just bought a usb pedal off amazon (laughs) so that uh, i can have that uh, extra authentic uh, time crisis experience and it works fairly well (laughs) so yeah that's that's what i've been playing like just old arcade games and loving it
0: yeah one thing those games can really do is they don't ever have to worry about the enemies being on screen. That's just kind of like a given, mm-hmm. and like that—that's my, my nightmare working on on my own AI. Is like when do you get the enemy like in the player's view, and why hmm. is not a simple ask, you know? And
1: the age-old question of AI is,
0: yeah,
1: where do they stand? Yeah, and why?
0: <laughs> yeah, and I've actually been playing. Uh, this is. It feels like a joke to me or something, because I'm always referencing them in, in like any article I make on my on my work. But I've been recently uh I recently played through most of Half Life and uh fear. And I feel like those two games really like they they tackle that question really well with a combination of how the enemies orient around you and the the balance of the gameplay, like going back to that word balance. I feel like Yeah. In those games you are less inclined to want to, like, be out in the open, just, like, shooting at a guy who's shooting at you. Yeah. So you you kind of, like, relish those, like, moments of downtime more. You kind of, like, go for, like, cover, and you often are seeking, like, alternate routes. And I think it, it gives the enemies more opportunities to um, do something that looks like they're doing something smart. The The replicas are a big one for me, where it's, like, I feel like half of what makes AI feel good in a game is not just, like, what they're doing, like, what they want to do, but, like, how they do it. And their way to just, like, the way they they mantle all over the place, the way they can, um, the the way they orient mostly around, I think, where they last saw you, rather than, like, knowing where you are, it it creates the illusion of uh, something a lot smarter than it is just because they're going from cover to cover. And I feel like, on the flip side that gets noticed less in modern games where the AI has to be smarter like i just i have like i it just has to be true like a, a your average ubisoft guy with an ak47 must be more capable than a fear replica it has to
1: yeah so that's that that's kind of what i was getting at earlier when i mentioned the the fact that yeah because some games have had a lot more attention and you know they've been covered more a lot of stuff gets overlooked and yeah I could be wrong, but I am nearly certain that you could put two of the uh, what do we call them? Let's just say thugs. Two of the two of the uh, the thugs in um, watchdogs. You dump them in a car park sort of area. Yeah, they would probably act in a very similar way to the dropping two replicas into that same car park area.
0: Yeah, I think the difference just comes in the the player side. Like in one game, you're probably observing them more. Like in like in Call of Duty, you're more out in the open, or in Watch Dogs, it's third person, so you can literally see what they're doing.
1: Yeah, you'll be in cover all the time,
0: and then it then it becomes rope. It becomes like you know you get used to it, and it's not that interesting.
1: I think perspective is quite a big thing, because yeah, like in third person cover shooters or third person games with cover, you're obviously always able to see the enemies, right? Yeah. If uh, which means you're not really able to as a as a designer i suppose hide any mistakes that the enemies are going to be doing you know they're, they're showcased all the time so at yep. that point you start spending more time on animation and that and the more time you spend on animation the more animation heavy your enemies are the uh less reactive they are
0: yeah
1: a lot of the times because you don't have coverage for all types of animation i know that's been addressed in more recent games but um back then that was certainly the case
0: I'm sure that informed a lot of like how halo works where it's like the enemies are on screen so much they have to be more expressive
1: yes yeah 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 totally like that they're, they're and they're huge as well you know yeah and that that'll be part of it like there's a lot of um variety in the scale of things like your weapon on screen is quite big the enemies you're fighting are quite big but the spaces are quite um quite vast i mean obviously outside of the first level of halo but the second mm-hmm. level and silent cartographer and they have, they have big spaces, <laughs> you, you know, with a couple yep. of props here and there. So you're fighting over, like, either great distances or small distances in a, a large space, you know?
0: I don't know. I just... I'm I'm extra cynical in general. I just want more Half-Life. I want Half-Life. I don't want Half-Life 2. I guess Half-Life Alex is all right. I just... I think it's really sad. This is, like, a kind of shooter that's just, like, dead. And, like, every single time I replay it, there's something new I appreciated about it, like, in a different way. Yeah. And it just, I don't know, I'm like, like what we're, I was getting at earlier with like enemies forcing you to cover, they, that I don't know, I, I don't want to like say, I don't know, I don't want to like ascribe too much genius to any one designer or whatever, but it feels like that was very intentional when you see something like, like the Vortigaunt being like a pretty early game enemy who's like constantly forcing you into cover and that's an enemy that also, you know, moves around a lot and I and I feel like they were making that attempt to like make enemies seem smarter and they probably got some understanding that like well. If the player isn't seeing what they're doing, that gives them a better chance to like surprise the player. Yeah. And I feel like I've not played a modern game in probably a decade where I was like surprised, like where like something did something where I was like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. That was a novel interaction between me and the AI and the world.
1: I've definitely had it in um, in open world content within open world games. You know, like when you're playing. It's very rare that it happens in a campaign mission in these types of games, like yeah, um because having worked on those, I know why. It's you know it's because we have to railroad things, Um, and any time we don't, it can be seen as too too much of a dip in quality. I I don't know if that's still the case. It's been after having worked on a few Ubisoft games and uh, like open world games for most of my career. I don't really play them anymore, so just the fatigue set in. for me uh i just the fun side of it started to feel like work and it's, it's it's not as relevant to what i'm making these days so uh, i don't really play them but at least when i was working on them that that was kind of the case but yeah they, they must have fixed some of that stuff now i think I'm, I'm assuming the, the campaigns now have, have got more um they're probably more dynamic than they want to work.
0: I mean, for sure, but still, I feel like again, it goes back to the whole leaning more on the experience side, you know, where it's like, oh, we've got like a cool moment, rather than like, yeah, here are like interesting tools we're giving you, and interesting tools we're giving like the enemies. And I, I don't know. I feel like I feel like this become less and less common, and it's it, I, I really I I would like to see a shift back the other way, and I, I don't know what will make that shift happen, or if it even can happen.
1: I think it's partially down to like what I said before about the the fact that most of these games, that at least the games I'm mentioning, is the similar to the ones I've worked on, is that they've got human enemies with human limitations and in a human world.
0: Yeah, get rid of them. Give me aliens. Gears of War is on such a better track for doing whatever yes. the fuck they want to do because their enemies are ridiculous.
1: You know, they're making a video game ass video game, right? Yeah. They can do what they want with the enemies. You know, they can they can come up with like you know I was talking about that sort of spreadsheet um way of mm-hmm. building a game they can kind of, they can kind of do that like legitimately they can kind of come up with wild um different uh you know outcomes from their different all their different variables oh yeah for sure and then create a form that matches it you know sometimes that can be kind of one of the more difficult things uh, when you're doing enemy design like you come up with these cool func- uh, functional mm-hmm. traits an enemy will have so you know what it could do but you don't really know how you don't really have a way to apply a good form to it that fits your world or the limitations of in this case real life in real life it might be quite hard to have like you know a small flying enemy that moves faster than you can shoot but has a shield on the front Mm. i don't know if it was set in the 70s (laughs) you know in i don't know chicago or something you couldn't really make something like that. It's not like you have access to drones or anything. So you're, you're limited to the type, the type of, yeah you know, characters in that world. Um, I suppose you could have for some kind of angry pigeon or something, <laughs> <But> you, <laughs> you know, that, that kind of, that, that kind of thing. Um, but I think that's part of the problem. I think because gritty realism has become almost the norm. That's one of the reasons why people look more fondly upon like, you know, the, like the fantasy side of things or the, Science fiction stuff. it's so obviously, yeah. stuff like, um you know, the Elder Scrolls games don't have these types of problems. They have other types of problems. Which is also
0: owned by Microsoft now. Shit.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: I was just thinking, yeah. I don't know. I i guess if there's one positive I'm, I'm hoping for, if Sony tries to go back into shooters or something, is maybe to compete with Call of Duty, they hopefully don't make the mistake of just trying to make their own Call of Duty, which it felt like everyone was doing for a hot minute.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. boy,
0: that was a diary time
1: do we need to see SOCOM come back
0: yeah but it's like I don't know I, I want something new I want. I want. I I don't know I want to see an enemy on screen that I've never seen before and a shooter I've never seen before and mm. it-, it doesn't need to like it doesn't need to blow my mind with originality but just you know something something fresh and I guess that's just what I'm like I'm really hoping for out of games in general these days yeah well I think we've hit all of our major uh, topics you want to wrap it up here
1: yeah yeah could do
0: yeah all right, well, this has been good. This has been our uh first episode of funk podcast uh a podcast title we came up with on the fly two days before making this. <laughs> um, we'll probably get a little bit better doing this each episode, but who knows? uh, I'm going to be looking at comments on this on YouTube. I'm gonna be promoting it on my channel, and I'm sure you'll be promoting it on Twitter and stuff and okay, I think we'll probably start doing like you know listener questions and answers if we start uh, you know getting those. So we can probably close this out a little bit more nicely next time. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I think that's it for now. Uh, Thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks.